0: Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. I am Bill Bennett, and it's my show. Yes, you are Bill Bennett, and yes, it is your show. Well, that's a good start. You're mm-hmm. very agreeable today. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thoughtful conversations about things that matter. Expose existential threats to America. Discuss the news of the day. School, 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 education, education, education. Mm-hmm. Man, oh man. Mm-hmm. Joining me today, talk about that, Lindsay Burke, director of the Center for Education Policy at Heritage, Heritage Foundation. Also, I was recently a guest on the Brian Kilmeade Show, and I want to share that audio with you on today's show as well. Well, the first thing I want to talk about, okay, is uh, came as news to you.: Yes, I didn't Oklahoma hear and Texas want to join the Southeast Conference. Uh, first time hearing about it, and that's unbelievable. For those people who don't know what I'm talking about, too bad for you. <laughs> Football season's coming up.: Yeah. I mean, coming. what a conference that would be. Why do you want to do that? Yeah, you know. Well, we, revenue.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a, where the money, money is. Yeah, well, and I'm assuming, I did not assume Texas had any issue with that, but, I mean, I just think about Texas A&M and how everybody thought that that was such a bad move to go to the SEC, but they've done nothing but got, gotten better since then. No, I know. As a program. I mean, they haven't won an SEC title, but at the same time, right. they've been in the hunt and they've gotten better.
0: I remember talking to Governor Perry, name-dropping here, Governor Perry of Texas. Mm-hmm. He's an Aggie, mm-hmm. graduate of Texas A&M. When they signed up, I said, oh, you're going to regret this. Well, that next year, Johnny Football right. goes mm-hmm. and beats Alabama in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, I've got to swallow my words here. I called the governor and apologized. Yeah.
1: They've been very credible. Oh, absolutely! They've been very credible. And I mean, you think about it from a recruiting standpoint. You know, if you get a kid who you know great quarterback, but Alabama's already got two on the roster, and you're going to be third if you're at Texas or in Oklahoma or even Texas. And they're like, hey, you may not be able to play there, but you can come and play here, and you get to see these guys every year.
0: I mean, I'm a reluctant Texas fan. I mean, I, by reluctant, I mean I, I know they're going to lose, but I root for them anyway. Your
1: heart is with them, but sort of, yeah, your mind yeah. But that. I, you know, but <laughs> but in
0: my heart, I know they'll lose. Right. Uh what do they want to join a tougher conference for? have no clue. You've got a better shot trying to win the Big 12 every year than... So I was watching the Paul Feinbaum show. You know that show. Mm-hmm. Now see a lot of people are saying, what is that? What are
1: we talking about here?
0: It's all football. Right. All SEC. <laughs> right. Texas can't win the Day Gone division they anyway. Can't, yeah, they can't win the Big 12. The conference. Right. And Oklahoma can't win in, in the finals or semifinals.
1: Yeah, they'll get to the playoffs every now
0: and then, right. but then they'll, they'll end up losing. So now, what do they want to play tougher teams for? Why won't they just join the Pac-12? Well, they tried they a few years win. ago. <laughs> they can win. But the that. <laughs> funny thing was, Paul Feinbaum was saying we got to end this up and get serious business. But Paul Feinbaum was saying, um, turns out that when the news of this got out, Oklahoma State said, "Oh, we're coming too." Wow, wow. Well, that the conference is too big that way. Right. So we got to sort this out. I
1: don't think it'll happen. So it's possible. Speaking of Oklahoma State, this reminds me. Of my uh, wife and I, here we were think uh, we were thinking about. Um, Heading to Boise in September for a quick, you know, oh, weekend yeah. sort of getaway. And there's a weekend in there where Boise State's playing Oklahoma State.
0: That'd be good. On That'd, the be blue good. Turf.
1: That'd be fun. I'm trying to get her out there without her knowing that the first thing I looked at, the college football schedule. But if we go out there, she's down to go. So and you'll her say, to that
0: holy the- smoke, you'll never guess what's going on yeah, this you, afternoon.
1: realize? It's like, well, will, will we ever be able to find tickets? Like, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, maybe we can. I have some right here You're in my in my wallet. pocket,
0: okay. <laughs> Keep me posted on that conspiracy. Right. Good, good, good. There is a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Boy, there's a lot to talk about going on in the world. Uh, We got a great response, by the way, to that uh, Cold Civil War, didn't we? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's just out now, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Brian Mm -hmm. Kennedy and uh, Joel Farkas. Farkas. It's terrific. Um, Folks should listen to it. They should. It's a great podcast. Um, Andrew Sullivan is a uh, liberal Republican. Uh, He led led the move for gay rights. He wrote several books. He married uh, another guy. He was early on. He and I used to have debates Um, I still think there's a problem with that thesis of his in his book, although he's kind of changed it in the book. The suggestion was, um, male marriages, male to male marriages will be different from others because there'll be the opportunity for an outlet. Okay. Uh, meaning somebody else. And we we don't get that in our marriages. Not, not when we swear before God. Right. Right. We don't get that. No. So anyway, I, I, he's, it's changed some and. I think he's taken some of that back, but I'm just doing this to put him in historical context. Anyway, uh, he's a tough-minded guy, a smart guy. I disagree with him on things. But he's got a a degree of intellectual honesty that I really, really like. And he is now going to war against the woke left okay? and the repressive left. And Mm -hmm. he thinks it's repressive. And I I read from his uh, column, The Weekly Dish, Folks should look at it. You're not going to agree with everything. Um, there's too much gay stuff in there for my taste, but mm-hmm. but uh, but there's other stuff. And he talks about the ways in which this movement, this kind of movement of the left, totalitarians, everybody else calling them socialists and Marxists, I'm calling them totalitarians because it's about control, mm-hmm. how it manifests itself. And he talked about basic rights rights that we're familiar with, and what happens or what has been happening as a result of the move of these totalitarians. You'll get the idea as I run through his column. So he says, consider the following, which we used to regard as uh, important things. Mm -hmm. Due process. Well, he says, fine. But if you're a male on campus, it's gone. You're presumed guilty. Privacy. Stripped away, why, how, by anonymous rape accusations, exposure of private emails, violence against people's private homes, screaming at people in restaurants, sordid exposés of sexual encounters, and these things are all eagerly published by Woke magazines. Right. Nonviolence is a value. Exceptions are available if you want to punch a fascist. Not a problem. Free speech. Well, only if you don't mind being fired and ostracized as a righteous consequence. You know, free speech, but you say you're for Trump, you're gone. Free association? you got to be kidding, Sullivan says. Religious freedom? Uh, nonsense. Illegitimate bigotry. Illegitimate bigotry against religion, against the truly religious. Equality. Only group equity counts now. And individuals of the wrong identity can and must be discriminated against that's the new lesson colorblindness another word for racism what martin luther king held up as the ideal colorblindness is now regarded as racism mercy not for oppressors intent your intentions never mind they're irrelevant objectivity objectivity is a racist lie science science is a manifestation of white supremacy biological sex replaced by socially constructed gender so that women have penises and men have periods rule of law Well, not for migrants or looters. Borders, you want borders, you're a racist. Viewpoint diversity is a form of violence against the oppressed. He talks about this guy, Kendi, Ibram Kendi, who's kind of the godfather of this uh, critical race theory. He says, read the book. He says, Kendi, who is feeded across the establishment, favors amending the Constitution to appoint an unelected and unaccountable committee of experts, which has the power to coerce and punish any individual or group Anywhere in the country deemed to be practicing racism. Hmm. Wow. Unelected, and unaccountable committee that can coerce and punish any individual deemed to be practicing racism. Their intent doesn't matter. And the decisions are final. An advocate for unaccountable, totalitarian control of our society is the darling of every single elite institution in, in America. And this guy is routinely given platforms where no qu- tough questioning of him is allowed. He is as dumb as Obama is smart, as crude as Obama is nuanced, and as authoritarian as Obama is liberal. Very brave words. Very brave words, and he's going to pay for those. This thing is, is is getting out of hand. someone said to me, or I overheard it, or I saw it or heard it on the radio, or website something we even talk about the cold civil war and all that mm-hmm. someone said look just just face it we are we are just divided we're just cut in two and most americans are not buying this new totalitarianism uh, far outnumbered uh, are the new totalitarians by most sensible americans certainly conservatives moderates moderate democrats more liberal democrats favor a lot of it but the new totalitarians have the have allies in powerful places you said this the universities. Media, the foundations, uh, the government now, and the schools, and other places. Now corporations cooperating as well, as we saw with Major League Baseball, and see to some extent with the NFL. So this is a pivotal time in America. And I, I don't know how this works out. I think, as our friends Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hansen said on our other podcast, mm-hmm. Scholars and Sense, the other podcast that I, I participate in, people will prevail but I don't know and I, I don't know if they do what the scars are right and I don't know how societys changed whats your comment
1: uh, so, I mean just uh, kind of along that same line is, as far as what are we thinking I mean I remember hearing this morning and I just wanted to make sure I had had this right uh, you know out of Ch- in Chicago uh, they call this uh, historic reform where there's going to you know elected civilians will now help oversee Chicago's police department and I'm like well What about overseeing the streets in Chicago? What about there being civilians overseeing the neighborhoods in Chicago where all this violence is happening, where people are getting shot? And, yeah, sure, there can be issues and stuff in police departments. Fine. But aren't there huge problems in the cities? Wouldn't the civilian population be better served by one another looking out for each other in the neighborhoods as opposed to having to oversee the police?
0: I have said it. You've heard me any number of times. It's a great point you bring up. The left will overstep. They always do. Mm -hmm. And this is one area defund the police. Yeah. yeah. Biden uh, in this town hall recently in CNN said, I've never been in favor of that. You know, my party doesn't stand for that. Well, we saw one after another after another. Democrats say they were in favor (laughs) of it. Not all of them. And it was tilted, you know, toward the left side of the party. But um, they were certainly saying it. And so now they're backing off. And I think they've overstepped in the schools here. And uh, speech codes and firing of people and... You know the the absurdity attacking what's his name, Lin Manuel Miranda? Is that his name? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's not enough dark Latino representation in in the movie, in the show. So we'll we'll wait and see. But I don't know how it's going to come out. Let us know, Mm -hmm. and let's do some emails next time. Okay, for sure. How do you think this is going to turn out? How do you think does America weather this storm? And how? Who wins? Or is there a, a draw? Or everybody to a neutral corner? Or we divide up the country, and, you know, everybody who believes this goes to the mm-hmm. southern part of the country. Everybody who believes this goes to the west and east coast. There'll be
1: some good uh, football in the southern
0: part of the country. Where you where I'm going to live, yeah. So, you know. Well, we'll end where we started. Very good. You're listening to The Bill Bennett, Show. Bill Bennett Show. Joining us now, Lindsay Burke, director of the Center for Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation. You know, a whole lot is going on in education, and it's your job to be uh, mindful of all of it, understand all of it, and translate all of it to the rest of us. How's that?
2: That sounds fair.
0: (laughs) That's your job. Um, Where are we now? Um, Let's start at the end, um, because it was my thought, and then when I talked to you, you kind of confirmed it. Then I went on TV and blabbed it and and, uh, said that, you know, right now it seems to me this is a great moment for school choice because there's so much unhappiness about some different things going on in American schools among some American parents. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I, I would. And it all began really last year with schools across the country closed to in person instruction. I mean, this really catalyzed parents to show up at school board meetings to really make their voices heard. And I think for for many parents maybe there was a recognition for the first time that school choice is a critical tool for them to be able to actually have their voice heard, to be able to vote with their feet and affect change when they need to. And so I I do think that not only did COVID lead to uh, a greater uh, desire for choice on the part of parents, but it also put them uh, in the front row to see what their children are being taught today in public schools across the country. And many of them were not very happy with what
0: they saw in that virtual classroom. Okay, I was just going to say they looked over their child's shoulder at the screen That's and right. said, "What? What? What? What's that? What are we? What is this about?" Right? There was some of that, and then there was also talk about this for a minute—the uh, kind of recognition that these teachers are part of a teachers' union, which is not maybe so dedicated to the well-being of children. Is that fair?
2: Yeah, you know, I I think that's more than fair. If you look at, I think the LA Teachers Union is the best, worst example of that. The demands that the LA Teachers Union had around uh, their blessing of school reopening had nothing (laughs) to do with education. I mean, we're talking about defunding the police and Medicare for all and uh, rent abatement and a moratorium on charter schools. And so, you know, this is something that I think uh, parents, obviously, this angered a lot of parents. And, you know, it's just this continue. I I think it's more than a continuation. This was really the unions going to a far greater extent, maybe in the past than they had with the political demands and partisanship that we see. And by the way, uh, the unions, of course, are very different than the teachers they purport to represent. These are the decisions made oftentimes by union heads. And, It was just, it was so unfortunate to see many kids across the country, 3 million kids didn't sit, set foot in a classroom for a year. And so much of that, even once we knew what the science said about the safety of school reopening, so much of that came back to the teachers unions, really thwarting school reopenings from happening.
0: Did, was this a kind of shock of recognition? Oh my gosh, this is what teachers unions are about. Um, or did parents up till this point not associate their teachers with the teachers' union?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Everyone's familiar with the research on uh, how individual Americans more or less like their individual congressmen, but have disdain for Congress. I think we see that play out a bit in education as well, where families like their teacher, they like their local school, but are starting to uh, have less affinity, maybe, for the government-run school system broadly, and. You know, I'll give you one really interesting point on, on this. A few years ago, West Virginia had tried to get a modest school choice program in place. They had tried to put into effect a, an education savings account option for children with special needs. So it was targeted. It was a small program. And the teachers union prevented that from happening. There was this Red for Ed movement. And they really, they did. They blocked any sort of modest school choice in West Virginia. Well, fast forward a couple of years later, West Virginia, like everybody else, lived through COVID, school closures, teacher union antics. And what did we see happen this spring? The legislature and then Governor Justice in West Virginia signed into law a near universal education savings account for every child, every single child currently in a public school in West Virginia. So. When this program launches, any kid who wants it, who is currently attending a public school or is an entering kindergartner, will be able to receive an ESA. It is so much more expansive than what the teachers' unions fought against successfully a few years ago. And so I do think that a lot of that is a reflection of how angry parents were, how much they realized that the unions were thwarting quality education options, access to learning that was consistent for their children. And so now we have the most expansive school choice program in the country. So thank you, teachers' unions, for that.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, good, good. I want to, I want to come back to West Virginia's example and find out if we can, as we say in philosophy, cosmologize that example, <laughs> universalize it. Um, but do you think, just, just to fill it in, uh, in that story, do you think that COVID, uh, and recognition on the part of parents in West Virginia had something to do with that?
2: I do. I think families recognized how, um, Uh, inflexible public education funding is, how much they really were at the whims uh, of district officials, of government officials, many of whom really, uh, you know, follow the lead of the teachers unions. And so I think COVID did put that in in really clear contrast for them. So I think that had a lot to do with it. We're also seeing, as as you and I alluded to a minute ago, this pushback uh, because of the content that's now making its way into the K-12 system across the country where we have things like critical race theory busting out of colleges of education out of the ivory tower and making its way down into the K-12 system. And parents are extremely unhappy with that. They are not at all happy with their children being taught that they're either victims or oppressors or being sorted by race into affinity groups. And so I think we're seeing both play out dissatisfaction with the content and dissatisfaction with government assigned schooling.
0: I don't have more insight than you. I have a few years on you though. My experience Mm -hmm. back to the analogy between uh, people liking their member of Congress, but not liking Mm -hmm. Congress, liking their teacher, but not thinking well of teachers overall or, or of education overall. The difference is, you know, everybody knows that your member of Congress is a, that you that, you, that your representative is a member of Congress, i don't think a lot of parents think of their teachers that they like that they know as as members of a union mm-hmm. a union, and if they do in my conversations, I say you know this you know this teacher this Miss Jones you like. A check. She's actually a member of one of the worst organizations in the country, opposed to everything except made sense and <laughs> reform. And most parents say, "Oh, I, I thought they did the union, you know, just for like for salary stuff, for you know, for, for for bargaining." They don't associate it, Lindsay, In my experience, most Americans. I'm just talking about most American parents, or at least up till this time, with an ideologically packed agenda. That is, that that teacher. Is part of that. Not necessarily that that teacher buys into it, because, you know, many of them don't. They just go along. But it's my experience that they don't think of Miss Jones as part of the NEA or the AFT.
2: Yeah, I think that's right in large part. But look, the fact that the unions are really you know, taking a lot of this politicized content to 11 now, right? I mean, we're seeing yeah. the the NEA and the AFP just had their annual conventions and really doubling down on seeing things like critical race theory in uh, the 14,000 school districts across the country, saying that's something that they wanted to see, saying they would investigate yeah. groups, yeah. spend money to do basically opposition research on groups that have concerns about critical theory including heritage um, so you know they're they're all in
0: well i want st- to i want to stay with this point because this is something i haven't understood over the last year i agree 100 percent with you they are all in and they are all in for the w- worst stuff and they stand there and stood there over the last year and said we're not going back to school we're not going back to school. even when almost everybody was saying you got to go back to school I-, I thought why are they being so dumb and then it occurred to me because they believe what they've always believed. Most American parents don't, don't associate their schools with that, that movement, that ideology. And I, yeah. think, I think that's still the case. I mean, you got your Loudoun counties and other places. I think, it's, I think it's changing some. But I think they're sort of counting on the fact of a dissociation in people's minds between this, you know, Randy Weingarten spewing all this stuff and the teachers at their local school, right or wrong?
2: No, I think you are right and I think every parent would be well served to take a walk Good. through their local college of education where Good. they will Good. see Good. signs everywhere for the unions. You know, these are the training grounds for future teachers. So that would make the connection very clear.
0: Are we at a moment, you think, at a pivot point where people will start to really get, get activated other than the a small base of conservatives who've been uh you know, who've been angry for a long time. Do you think this is a widespread populist uh, uprising against uh, educational malpractice?
2: Yeah, I I do. And I think in part because the movement, the reopen schools movement really was bipartisan in nature in in terms of the parents who were showing up and really demanding Uh that that their children have consistency in schooling. And a lot of that movement has really stuck around for this fight over content. And so I, I do think that it has, uh, you know, there's, there's widespread pushback across the country. You know, no parent wants their, their child being taught that they are a victim and can never uh move beyond uh, you know structural alleged structural racism throughout the country. Um they want every parent, every American, want children to learn about all of America's history, including shameful aspects like slavery and Jim Crow and segregation, but they also want that to be coupled with content that creates a sense of shared national identity and teaching that America belongs to all Americans and that the station is great and its progress yep. is worth celebrating. So I, I think there's there's widespread agreement among parents around those ideas, which is why I think we will continue to see many of the same parents who showed up to demand that schools reopen last year, stick around and continue this fight uh, against the discrimination that we see uh, when CRT is put into practice in schools.
0: I hope you're right. I mean, I hope something is brewing. I, I saw one uh, parent who must've been reading your memos um, <laughs> and your, and your writings on this on TV saying, now the next, the next stage in this is school choice. Okay. You know, we get frustrated and the school board is uh is a mess uh you know and, and we realize we can't get satisfaction here the thing is just to get up and go away go somewhere else um now let's come back to your west virginia example this is uh what uh, my colleague checker finn and i used to call full moon choice uh <laughs> it sounded like we were putting it down but we were totally in favor of it uh, this is it in west virginia right the money got, follows yeah. the child and that the uh, we used to talk about the money goes in the child's backpack or wherever the backpack goes, the money goes. That's it. Yeah, that-
2: yeah that's right. All right. <laughs> that's exactly right. In the, in the case of West Virginia, I mean, this is an, an education savings account where families will get a portion of the date per pupil funding, right? So I think that's always important to reiterate. There's no local money implicated. There are no federal dollars involved. This is eight per pupil money. And if you choose to leave your district school, you can take that state money with you in the form of an ESA. And then, this is why I love ESAs, they're so flexible. You can pay private school tuition if you want, or and or you can hire a private tutor, you can purchase online courses, you can buy curriculum and textbooks. And what is really phenomenal in my mind about ESAs and the way they're designed is that you can roll over unused funds from year to year. You can even roll those unused funds into a college savings account. And so it really align wow. all of the incentives in a way wow. that get parents not only to look for, for what would suit their child the best, but also to do it at a, at a good value as well.
0: You, you have to use it for education though, right?
2: You do. So it's any education related service or product or provider. You know, what?
0: Well, what's interesting to me, too, is, you know, uh, West Virginia is the butt of a lot of jokes on, by liberals. I guess it was more for Trump than almost any other state or one of the two or three. Uh, and been for years, it's people, you know, people talked about West Virginia's bunch of, you know, dumb hicks and all that. And here it has got the most enlightened education choice policy in the country now i assume from that baby steps here for baby feet here for me and maybe some of my audience i assume from what you're saying that since uh chief justice roberts has not come down to west virginia and said what are you doing you can't do this that what they're doing is within the constitution correct oh yeah when was that in in
2: 2002 zelman v Harris. was the first instance. But then we've seen at the state level as well, state courts wrestle with this question. So if you look at Arizona, Arizona was the first state to enact an education savings account. They did that back in 2011. It got challenged. These things tend to get challenged with teachers unions too. And when they were debating this issue in, in the court in Arizona, they basically said, well, since you can use your dollars at multiple education services for multiple services at different schools, this is clearly not the state somehow subsidizing religion. Sure, you can use your funds to attend a private Catholic school if you want, but that decision is made on the part of the parent. In no way is that the state subsidizing uh, or endorsing religion. And so that's been very clear over the years when the courts have taken that up. So certainly solid ground there.
0: Yeah, you know, I used to say um, 100 years ago before you were born, what's the problem here? We use federal money for higher education. Right. You can use your Pell Grant at uh, Maharishi uh, one year, Catholic the next year, at uh, University of Judaism the third year. You'll be theologically confused, but you'll be within the Constitution. Uh, That's right. And, and, you know, it was just a block on elementary and it's more important than elementary and secondary. Can you use that money in West Virginia for uh, homeschooling?
2: Right. So there's an important distinction. The answer is sort of, right? So you can use your funds as a student who schools at home. So you could use that. You could never set foot in a brick and mortar school if you didn't want to. You could receive your ESA money and then hire a private tutor, do online classes, hire buy textbooks. And so basically you would look a lot like a homeschooler, but they make a distinction in statute between homeschoolers who don't participate in the program, who don't access, I'm doing air quotes here, public funds. Uh, so they make a distinction between those students who are homeschoolers not entering the program and those who use the funds and might end up looking a lot like homeschooling students. And, and that's important to make sure that any regulations, as light as they are around these ESA programs, uh, don't end up falling onto the homeschooling community.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes sense. Okay, so now... Uh, and you provided this to me, um uh, and I appreciate it, uh, but, but let's talk about it in general and then you can, you can break it down in a few states. So I'm, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith and I'm very unhappy with my child's school. Okay, uh, Lindsay, can I, um, can I, uh, can, can I use these state funds to go to another school? Your answer is it depends where you live, right? Yeah. Give us some examples examples other than West Virginia.
2: Yeah, so I mentioned Arizona a second ago. Arizona was the first state to do an education savings account. And similar to what I described, right, you get 90% of the state per pupil, and then you can enroll in private school or do all of those other things. I'll I'll tell you one quick story. We know a family in Arizona who the son qualified early on first year of the program because he was blind. And so he got 90% of what the state was spending, which for him, because he was legally blind, and there are weights put into Arizona's formula, he ended up getting $21,000 a year Whoa. in his ESA. And remember, this is still just 90% of what the state was spending. And so this is a savings for taxpayers. So right. he, he got that money in his ESA, paid his tuition at a private school he chose because it met his needs. He was then able to buy all of his assistive technology, a talking computer, all of his Braille textbooks. The family still had thousands left over every year. They rolled that money over and then were able to pay college tuition in California at Loyola Marymount University with their leftover Arizona state per pupil funding. And so it's just really amazing. I think when you uh, put families in the driver's seat, allow them to make those decisions, they do so much better than some distant government official. So if you're in Arizona, you're in luck.
0: We're talking uh, to Lindsay Burke, director of the center for education policy at the Heritage Foundation. Give us a couple sample states, of whatever comes to mind. Uh, I'm in Ohio, or I'm in New York, or I'm in uh, uh, Tennessee. Uh, What are my options?
2: Yeah, so Ohio was one of the first states, actually, back in the 90s that really took up school choice in a robust way. They've got quite a few programs in place. The Cleveland Voucher program is one really good example. And so now to give a broad picture, if you look across the country, we now have 28 states and the District of Columbia that have some sort of school choice program in place. So either a voucher, tax credit scholarship or an education savings account. And look, at this point, I hesitate to even call it school choice because so many states are moving toward education savings accounts. And right. so that really means education choice, right? Because you can do so much more than just choosing among schools. And then I, you know, would add to that overall number that I just mentioned, 28 states in DC, but just this legislative session, just this spring, we have had seven states put entirely new for the first time ever, full choice programs into place. Arkansas, Indiana, Kentucky, Missouri, New Hampshire, Ohio, and West Virginia. Wow, so it's I mean, moving. This is, moving. It's, it's phenomenal the progress this year.
0: Right. And so, what? Let's let's close with this. What, what what should parents do? Where do you find out? First of all, I'm sitting there in Tennessee. Where do I find out what options? I don't like the the school my child's attending.
2: Yeah. Well, I think the very best place to look is EdChoice, uh, EdChoice, which is the legacy foundation of Milton and Rose Friedman. They've got a fantastic website where you can click on your state. It shows all your various school choice programs, your eligibility, uh, if you are as an individual eligible to participate, what you would get from the program. So that's the place that I would start.
0: EdChoice, and that is a website. Exactly, edchoice.org. And this thing is moving. So this, this train is, is, on, is on the move. You're optimistic.
2: I'm incredibly optimistic. I mean, again, the fact that we had seven states already this year adopt entirely new school choice programs, I think 10 years from now, we will look back and be amazed that we ever had a system of government-assigned schooling that gives parents, gives families who are the least well-advantaged, the fewest choices. I think we will look back and recognize that it's anathema in America that we would do some sort of government-assigned anything. And so I think a decade from now, we will see choice really have just swept the country and uh, a large majority of students have access to it.
0: Are these mostly red states?
2: You know, it's, it's really a mix at this point. Um, there are a good number of red states, but you know, it's really all over the board at this point, which is good. And um, you know, I, I think again, we're seeing what, whether it's COVID or the content that we've seen uh, really make its way into schools, we're seeing bipartisan support for the idea of advancing education freedom.
0: Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to pat myself on the back. I'm going to give you a little, some history. When I was secretary of education, I had the three C's content, character and choice. And, yeah. uh, the one of the, you know, the one that the, uh, the unions hated the most was the third. And we pushed hard. <laughs> we didn't get very far, but uh, I remember one congressman was questioning me, Democrat congressman. And he said, um, uh, why would you want choice in my district? I said, well, why wouldn't you want choice in your district? He said, my constituents aren't smart enough to choose schools for their children. I said, they were smart enough to choose you. I said, oh, I see your point. (laughs) Uh, you know but I mean those are those are the those are the the dark days the old days but I mean this 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 train is moving one other thing I will tell you I, I being on the road and on the circuit for a long time after I left the post people would say what should I do if I want to change education Lindsay I would say why don't you run for the school board and people would say the school board, the school board, that doesn't mean anything. I said, "Oh, yes it does. That's where the rubber hits the road." Well, I'm feeling vindicated. Should I feel a little vindicated?
2: You should absolutely feel vindicated. This okay. is I, I think maybe it's been an overlooked area, but you know, there are 14,000 school boards, 100,000 school board members across the country Lord and me. a whole lot of opportunity for parents to get involved, for conservatives to get involved because school boards really do determine every nearly every decision about what happens in your child's school. And so I have I great statement. agree.
0: That's a great yeah. statement. They do, don't they? Especially the hard ones, right? That's you know, right. are we going to really have the can... same-sex thing? Are we going to give out condoms? Are we going to, you know, do critical race theory? That's school board stuff, right? That's
2: school board. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so there are huge opportunities there for parents to get involved. And this, again, is why I'm optimistic, right? We've yeah. seen parents really start to engage with their school boards in a very robust way over the past 12 to 16 months. And so I think there is a a recognition um, that school boards are where the action is, and there's a big opportunity there to be involved.
0: I like that word, robust. I'm thinking of Loudoun County. That's robust. Yeah. Yeah. And now, of course, the problem with it, it doesn't pay. Uh, You drive yourself crazy when you go home. You're going to yell at your spouse because you're so frustrated. But I used to say, you know, the pay is lousy. The work is very tough and frustrating. But if you're Catholic, I can speak as a Catholic, you will not have to go to purgatory when you die.
2: Because you, <laughs> you will have been through it. <laughs> That's right.
0: <laughs> Lindsay Burke, thank you very, very much. This was wonderful. And uh, I think, you know, people might go to, what is it again, EdChoice?
2: Yeah, go to edchoice.org. And then, of course, southbyheritage.org as well. We've got a, a lot of great resources there,
0: too. Yeah, I was going to say, people listening to this are going to say, I don't want to go to edchoice.org. I want to talk to Lindsay. Okay. (laughs) Thank you very, very much.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Recently, I was a guest on the Brian Kilmeade radio show. Here's the audio from that interview.
3: Many people are frustrated with their private health insurance. You're absolutely right about that. But can you convince a number of Americans to support a federal system that will actually be better than the private market? That poll that we decided seems to suggest that people think competition
0: would be good. No competition is terrible in healthcare. The function of a drug, the drug, the function of an insurance company, is deny to deny you the claims that you thought you had.
3: Really, uh, that is that's their function. Uh, joining us now is uh, Bill Bennett, who I think has a counter view on this. Uh, he's the same Bill Bennett that hosts the Wise Guys on Fox Nation. I was lucky enough to be on. Former Secretary of Education for the Reagan Administration, former Drug czar for President George H. W. Bush, and host of the Bill Bennett Show podcast. Bill, welcome back.
4: Thanks. Hey, listen. If you need more airtime, you can always come back. I think you're. I think you're getting enough, aren't you?
3: Well, I, I would come on Wise Guys anytime. <laughs> get this, Bill right, Bennett great. is so Terrific. powerful. He gets a restaurant and a caterer. That's unbelievable. Know,
4: no kidding. We don't get to eat the food though. I know. I know. Yeah, it, I know.
3: But some, uh, you know, who does? Ari Ari Fleischer actually I know. eats the props.
4: I know. I know. He orders bacon. I know. I noticed. Yeah. All
3: right. So, Bill, I played this cut because health care is the number one issue on both nights on both debates. And Bernie Sanders says the problem fundamentally is profit. The problem is you can't have competition in healthcare. What happens if you remove competition from healthcare?
4: Yeah, well, prices will go up. There's a monopoly. Prices will go up and care will go down. Uh, yeah, I, I picked up a lot of the same thing. I turned to folks, mostly family. We were all watching together, and said, uh, "Is is now profit making a, a bad word? A bad term? Uh, a tax on anything that was profit making and to substitute here the government." Um, not a good idea. It usually isn't. When we say public, it usually isn't a better thing than when we say private. Public bathrooms, public toilets, public accommodations, you know, usually the private ones are better.
3: Uh, Health care in particular. I was shocked yeah. to see that Joe Biden was in a hopeless situation defending Obamacare in front of Democrats. Yeah. It seems as though he was the only one who likes it. Well, since no Republicans like it and now... Th- you would think Democrats gave it life. What happened? How could Joe Biden be the only one on that stage who likes Obamacare?
4: Because the torque is left. I mean, they, they, that was clear from the two debates, the energy and the dynamic in that uh, party is to the left. Uh, yeah, he was uh, defending it uh, and against the attack of a lot of people. Uh, they all re- are ready for the public option or the public requirement, if you will. Uh, and, uh, Odd, too, isn't it? Because Obama's still by far the most popular Democrat out there. But that's where the party's going. And even though I think Biden, you know, survived I think he had a decent night, he stumbled a bit and more than a bit. Uh, he survived and, you know, uh, answered questions. Um, that's not where the energy is. And that's not where the direction is. Over the two nights, I would say that Warren, is the winner uh warren and sanders but m- mostly warren last night i thought uh brian was uh, kind of a bloodletting uh not it was tearless it was it was depressing uh and uh and very odd obamacare is working
2: your plan does not cover everyone in america by your staffs and your own definition
3: and to be very blunt and to be very straightforward You can't beat President Trump with double talk on this plan.
2: Vice President Biden, you're just simply inaccurate in what you're describing.
3: Kamala Harris talks about Medicare for all in 10 years. Uh, Oh, goodbye, private insurance, unless in rare circumstances. So Biden can't even play along. This is the one thing he can't even understand where she's coming from. And she knows if Trump gets a hold of you, you're through
4: yeah yeah I, now I don't understand her plan I don't understand the point of the plan I think it's it's an inco, an incomprehensible i I don't get it, but it's clearly in her own mind this notion of well, I'll go where the energy is, which is the public plan you know, which is uh, the government run, but we'll have this transition period of ten years but you know it th- doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense. so they're abandoning Obama and abandoning Obamacare, and he's about the only guy standing up there defending it but you know in in the in the debate with Trump it's not going to work you're absolutely right
3: Tulsi Gabbard, uh, a lot of people are impressed with her. I've seen her in action before. Her foreign policy, uh, I appreciate her definitiveness and her boldness, but I can't agree with almost any of it. Um, blaming uh, the Saudis oh, well. only for what's happening in Yemen, as if the Houthi rebels are there to create peace. Saying Saudi Arabia uh, that the president is not, uh, is not uh, is aiding al-Qaeda when he just killed Hamza bin Laden the other day and wiped out ISIS. But here she is taking out Kamala Harris, big time. Harris has no retort. 24.
2: Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president. But I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence. Innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California, and she fought to keep cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way.
4: Uh, Harris had no answer. Yeah, no, she didn't. We we knew this attack was coming. It was all predicted, and there it was. And it was pretty full-throated. You know, that Tulsi Gabbard's interesting here that she was uh, on target, uh, pointed to Sharp there, and, and hit her target. But then she can just go off in this wacky direction. You know, President Trump's an ally of uh, al-Qaeda, just craziness. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Kamala was not good, did not respond well or forcefully. She didn't have a great night.
3: Uh, she didn't Uh, so the President of the United States uh, clearly created an uproar I'm sure you heard with Baltimore and when he came out and said (laughs) the place is a mess Uh, and what is Elijah Cummings focusing on my stuff for and blasting Kevin McElhinan when what has he ever done for Baltimore in 30 plus years and then we discovered this tape here is Elijah Cummings in 1999 cut 38
1: this morning I left my community of Baltimore, a drug infested area where a lot of the drugs that we're talking about today have already taken the lives of so many children. The same children that I watched 14 or 15 years ago as they grew up now walking around like zombies.
3: That was 1999. Uh, that was yeah. uh, all 10 years ago. And now he's the same guy 20 20 years ago, same guy, and nothing's been done. Does the president have an opportunity here, Bill Bennett, to actually do something positive?
4: Sure, sure you can. Uh, By the way, you can't do a lot about that stuff at the same time. The other side of your mouth, like all the Democrats are talking about legalizing marijuana, Uh, it's a gateway drug. and It's a a gateway drug to all these other drugs. Look, I was the first drug czar. We went to Baltimore, and at the time, uh, the mayor of Baltimore was giving out clean needles, thinking this would help things. It didn't. I remember I talked to a drug addict in the street who said, man, clean needles, this is great. I'll use them and then I'll pass them on to my friends. <laughs> That's a good way to spread infection, huh? Anyway, uh, it, yeah, but, but the key, I think, here uh, is the word infestation because uh, all the presidents could accept in saying that this is another term for race, uh, for you know for bigotry. This shows that when you use the word infestation, that you're a racist. Well, there's Cummings using that exact word. Boy, I think the president just won that match pretty clear pretty pretty uh, obviously i think the president should go to baltimore He'll go with covings there are some things to do but you know what's going to seem like it's going to seem like a lot of uh, joe biden's 90s uh, crime bill it's going to be tough if you want these guys off the street you got to get them off the street
3: so why don't you bring us back to the 90s you're all over this crime bill and you know, remember the mood in the country yep. what did it yep. attack was it effective because it's being vilified today
4: it was effective. Uh, crime went way down. Uh, we imprisoned a lot of people. Uh, Joe Biden thought I was too soft on crime. And of course, the left thinks I was, you know, like Attila Uh He won more criminal penalties. I hate to make more trouble for Joe, but that's that's the case. But it did a lot of good. Uh, it got these bad guys off the street and gave neighborhoods the opportunity to breathe. Uh, and, um, you know, following a lot of these crime bills, mostly the crime bill of 94, you saw a dramatic drop uh, in, in crime. Now, uh, you know, Biden is up there saying, I heard him say last night, and no one's picked up on this if you're convicted of a drug crime, uh, you know, and no sentence anymore. It's just all rehabilitation. A drug crime? Any drug crime, maybe he's talking about you smoking a joint, but, you know, drug crime, people are convicted of drug crimes for selling 100 pounds of crack. That's not going to be a criminal penalty anymore. Again, they are going off the left cliff, and I don't, I don't know what's to stop them. Um, but, you know, that's the way they want to go. That's the way they go.
3: See, you, you mentioned Elizabeth Warren. While well, she did well, and I've had a lot of people say that. Well, just keep in mind. She can deliver it well, she understands she's extremely bright and experienced. I get it, but her policies are as extreme as anybody on those yeah, stages. Yeah. she wants to exactly. get rid of gas exactly. oil the oil and gas industry almost immediately, yeah. vilify anyone in a corporation uh right away, wants to give health care to everybody, free education so she may deliver it may have uh, uh, credentials but man her her policies are are uh really scary for this yeah. country.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. No difference between performance and policy. I mean, she's a good performer, good stage performer. She's quick. She's even a little cheerful. Uh, she's clever. But the policies are way out there. And, uh, you know, if she's the nominee, and I would say right now, I I think she's she's edging out Sanders. I don't know what you think, but I think she's stolen that left part of the spotlight from uh, Sanders. And the whole party's moving to the left. The whole party's moving in her direction. I think it could come down to Warren versus Biden.
3: And, and you know what? There's such a difference there. It'll come down to it. And Biden can't keep up. Yeah, he got better. I'm co- I'm quoting David Axelrod now. The good news for Biden is he did much better. The bad news for Biden is he might not be able to do much better. That's David Axelrod. And there's a reason why he hasn't given a full-throated divorce, uh, uh, endorsement to Obama, uh, uh, excuse me, to Biden. And I think he knows. Biden lost his fastball and his changeup at the same time.
4: Well, what was said about Biden, I'm afraid, was true. It was mean. It was uh, he's not as good as he was in his prime. And in his prime, he wasn't very good. He's never been that good. The question, though, is will that residual support for Obama-Biden still keep him afloat? It did the last time after a very poor performance, uh, debate performance. Maybe it will again. They know him. They trust him. Um, They're attached, uh, the Democrats, to to Barack Obama. That's his only hope. It's not his performance. Uh, It's uh, the fact that he's familiar.
3: So, last thing is, you understand the party. I know you care about the Republican Party a lot. They've having a rash of House retirements again. Your thoughts? Because there was a sense with the House doing nothing and going at each other with the squad that Republicans would have a shot at taking it back. Are they throwing that in the street?
4: I was throwing some good candidates away. Some of them are throwing their careers away. Get get on it and get, get replacements. Get people out there because I think it's a great opportunity. If, election stacks up with Donald Trump versus the far left, you could take the House back, get uh, get some good candidates, get on recruitment. I've talked to a couple of candidates recently uh, who are throwing their hat in the ring for the first time, and I'm encouraging. All right. Um,
3: Bill Bennett, uh, host of the Wise Guys on Fox Nation, which is wildly popular uh, and doing a great job. You see them all over the channel now. Uh, Bill, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Brian. Always good. All right, that does it for today's show. I hope that's enough for you folks. It's enough for me to catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.